Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. If you have your Bibles, open them up to the book of Psalms. The 37th chapter of the book of Psalms will be in the first four verses, and the title of this evening's message is Delight in Difficult Times. Delight in Difficult Times. Roger, thank you so much for that hymn. I had asked him if he would be so kind as to play that during the offertory time tonight. It's, if not my favorite, definitely one of my top favorite hymns. It is well with my soul. Horatio Gates Spafford penned the words to the song, It Is Well With My Soul, that has been the rally cry of so many in time of tragedy, and his story is quite amazing. Many of you may have heard it before, but for those of you who haven't, uh, Horatio Spafford was a prominent lawyer. He was a close friend of evangelist D.L. Moody, and in 1860s Chicago, Horatio Spafford would have been considered a wealthy man would have been considered a important man who would walk in important circles. And in this time, in 1860s Chicago, Chicago was a, a sprawling city. It was growing uh, and expanding. And Horatio Spafford, being a lawyer and being involved in real estate and, and, and speculation and things, and having the means and the money to do so, he bought much property on the north side of an expanding Chicago, speculating that as the city expanded, the property would become extremely value, valuable. But then in 1871, the great Chicago fire reduced the city to ashes, and with it went most of Horatio's investments. After two years of turmoil, two years, uh, Horatio and, and his constituents and those that he worked with would deal with the, the restarting and rebuilding of the city. And after two years of turmoil, trying to put their lives back together, Horatio and his wife Anna decided that a fresh start by way of a holiday in Europe. For those of you that don't know what holiday is, it's like a vacation. And so they decided that a holiday in Europe would be good for them and their four daughters. They chose England as their destination because their friend and evangelist Dwight Moody had begun to do crusades in England by this time. So they were going to go join him and help him and, and take a time of rest and relaxation and rejuvenation. So he bought their tickets for the trip on the steamship, the Via du Havre. Or, if you live in Wilson County, the Ville du Havre. It was a nice steamship. It had French roots, by the way, in case you didn't pick that up from the funny name. The day before they were to sail, though, Horatio received a call, and there was business that must be tended to in relation to the properties that had been destroyed. I assume it must have been insurance or real estate or something that was sensitive to the time, and he had to deal with it before they set sail. So the plan was that Anna and the daughters would sail with the tickets that were already purchased, and Horatio would take care of the business joined them in Europe in just a few short weeks. On November 22, 1873, the steamship was struck 
by an iron sailing vessel, and in 15 minutes, 226 people lost their lives in that tragedy. The four daughters of Horatio Spafford were victims in the tragedy. This was the worst ocean tragedy in history until the sinking of the Titanic sometime later. So this was the worst disaster in marine history, in navigational history of the waters. 226 people, and four of them were his daughters. His wife, Anna, survived. She was unconscious, laying upon some wreckage. She was pulled from the wreckage to safety on a rescue ship and carried to Wales. She then sent a telegram to Horatio. There's some debate as to exactly what it said. Many say that it merely had two words on it, saved alone. Others say that it said, saved alone, what shall I do? In any case, Horatio boarded a ship and departed to meet his grieving wife who had just lost their four daughters. And as they traveled, the captain of the ship called for Mr. Spafford and told him that after careful reckoning and figuring, they believed that they were coming upon the location where the Via du Avre had sunk. And so there they are. Horatio's going to join his wife, who's grieving the loss of their four daughters. The captain calls him and says, I believe that we're coming upon the location where your daughters drowned, where the ship went down. Miss Loretta, could we see those lyrics? It was at that location that Horatio Spafford on some stationery from a hotel, would sit and pen these words. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, when sorrows, like sea billows, roll. Now think about that line. When sorrows, like sea billows, roll. They were penned by a man who was looking at the watery grave of his daughters. Doesn't that give a little more meaning to the sea billows that he's writing? He's looking at the location where his four daughters drowned. And he says, when sorrows like sea billows roll, imagine the sorrows that he must have felt looking at those waves. But whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Quite an amazing thought in and of itself that in this time, in that location, in that place, in that difficult time in his life. He would pin the words to a hymn that would be sung for hundreds of years later that we would still sing today. And when we sing it today, it has no less meaning to us today than it did to him then. It is well with my soul. There is not one person in the house tonight who can't say that that song has not been with them through a difficult time in their life. That at some point those lyrics have not spoken to them at a difficult time in his life. But that wasn't the end of the tragedy of Horatio Spafford. He was distant from his former church when they returned to the States. He was a very prominent member of the Presbyterian Church church, but he became distant as, as he began to focus more on his time with Christ. He would lose a son to scarlet fever, and then he and his wife would move to Jerusalem. They would set up an inn that was used to basically help people in Jerusalem. It became a place where Muslims and Christians and all those could stay, and they would begin to have peace talks. Later on, there would be peace talks of government had in the 1900s. This inn still runs to this day, and who would have thought 
that in the face of such tragedy we would get this hymn, when peace like a river attendeth my way, sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. In Psalms 37, we see a response that, that we too can take to respond to difficult times as well. Because I don't know about you guys, but I feel like Horatio Spafford responded well in a difficult time. I feel like he stared at a time when he could have crumbled and instead he turned to God. Instead he turned and he said, it is well with my soul. So look with me at Psalms chapter 37 as we stand to our feet in honor of the reading of God's holy and infallible word. And we'll be in the first four verses of Psalms chapter 37. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Let us pray. Father God, we ask that you would do what only you can do, and that's dwell among us this evening, Lord Jesus. And we ask that you would be high and lifted up, that you would be the focus of everything that we say and everything that we do, that it would just glorify you, Lord God. God, you have your way and your will with us, and we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory. We'll take no credit for ourselves, Lord Jesus. And all God's people said... Amen. You may be seated. That story has been important to me for some time since the first time I heard it. Now, there are, there are some historical facts that tend to be juggled around. The first time I heard it, I heard that his son had died of scarlet fever before the Great Fire. But there seems to be more suggestion that it was 1880 when his son died, which would have been afterwards. But nonetheless... The gist of the story is that Horatio Spafford responded well in a situation that was not good. And so tonight as we look at responding to difficult times, I think we can all agree that we all face difficult times, that we all deal with situations. We talked about thorns in our flesh this morning, but in addition to that, to the thorns in our own flesh, we can all readily admit that, that we're in a perilous time within our government, we're in a perilous time within our country, we're in a perilous time within our religious freedoms, we're in a perilous time in our school systems, we're in a perilous time, even in our churches, we're in just perilous times as we get closer and closer to the time that Jesus is going to come back and gather up his remnant, the times are going to continue to get more and more difficult for us. And so how do we respond in difficult times? And the first thing we're going to see this evening is that we should refrain from fretting. Look at verse 1 with me. It says, do not fret because of evildoers. Do not fret. The word for fret there is actually a Hebrew word, and it's used typically to describe something that's very hot, very hot, and usually that describes something that happens on in an inward spirit. So something very hot on your inward spirit. Kind of like the phrase that we use when something happens to us and we say something like, boy, that just burns me up. Many people have ever said, that just burns me up, right? Thank you for being honest. The rest of you are liars. That just burns me up. That's fretful. 
I'm getting angry, I'm getting consumed, I'm getting so focused on what has happened that, that it's just consuming me on the inside. And God's Word says we should refrain from that. Paul would write in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that we are to warn them that are unruly and comfort them that are feeble-minded. And we usually think of that term feeble-minded and relate it to someone who is perhaps mentally challenged or someone who lacks the capacity to, to, to have a thought, but that's actually not what that phrase means. It actually means someone who has a small spirit. It could be someone who has a, a dwarf spirit even and is taken by fretfulness. And so Paul says that we should look at those who are feeble-minded. He relates it back to fretfulness and he says that they tend to be ones who whine, and groan, and complain, and murmur constantly. And so God says to us, when we have times of trouble, when we have difficult times, when we face situations that we don't like, one thing that we should do is respond by refraining from being fretful, that it shows a small spirit, it shows a dwarven spirit when we allow ourselves to respond by complaining and murmuring and whining and just being generally negative Nancy. Wow, I thought you'd at least smile at negative Nancy. None, apparently nobody else said negative Nancy growing up. And so why should we do that? Well, one thing we see from God's Word is that it will corrupt us. He says, do not fret. Don't do it. And it kind of suggests that it's an implied direction to us personally. Do not fret. Don't let it corrupt you. It is going to cause you a problem. It goes on to say that those that fret will wither as the green herb that will just begin to, to die away, will become so shrunken that will begin to, to wither away. But I think there's some other reasons why we don't want to fret beyond just that it affects us in our personal spirit. Have you ever noticed that you just really don't want to be around a fretful person? Am I the only one that just doesn't want to be around somebody that constantly complains? It'll be not only corrupting to you, but it'll start to be contagious to the saints. I remember there was a man that I went to church with and I asked him once how he was doing. And 30 minutes later, I realized that he was probably already dead. And I never ever made that mistake again because it was always something fretful. Now I had been warned that I wasn't making a wise decision, but I thought it would be kind. We just don't want to be around that fretful person, but it's contagious to others. Have you ever noticed when you're around someone who's fretful, when you're around someone who's complaining, when you're around someone who's groaning and grumbling, what do you start to do usually after a while? You start to groan and grumble yourself. I can't tell you how many times that my wife has been mad about something that by the time she's done telling me she's mad about it, I'm mad about it too. And I didn't even know what was going on before she told me. But boy, when she got done, I was ready to fight somebody. And I didn't even know what was going on. She's not normally all that fretful. But what I'm saying to you is if you have a fretful spirit, 
that you just can't get over. I mean, you got something in your life and you've become so focused on it, it's burned you up so bad that you're, you're just going to respond in complaining and you're going to respond in whining and you just, there's, you, you're just, guess what you're going to do and you can't seem to get over it. If you have become that fretful, then refrain from fretting, but don't be around the other saints because you're going to be contagious to them. You're going to come up in the house of God and there's going to be someone who is here for the purpose of worshiping God. You're going to brush up against them and next thing you know, they're not even going to be able to worship God because you have taken them out of that by being so fretful in their presence. I had occasion once to live this firsthand. I preached a message. And it was one of those messages where you just know the Holy Spirit descended upon the house in that day. You could just, you could just feel it. The altar uh, filled up following the, the invitation time. There were people coming after the invitation closed and, and talking about the message. There was a young man that had given his heart to Jesus. And, and it was one of those services where you just know that God was present in the house. And as I sat there shaking hands... I was somewhere above cloud nine. I don't know where cloud nine is, but Brother Jason was about eight steps above cloud nine, looking down, and there was nothing that could bring me down. Nothing was going to bring me down at all. But then she came walking up to me. She was not my wife. It was that one lady. You guys have all met her. She has never been happy in her life. I'm pretty sure when she was born, she said, I hate my mama, I hate my daddy, and I don't like the doctor who just delivered me. She's just not been happy. And that fretful lady brushed up against me and said something like this. She said, that was a nice sermon. But when you guys sang when the roll is called up yonder, you did it too slow. And her fretful spirit brushed up against me, and I went from cloud nine to fussing about her in the snap of a finger. Her spirit was contagious. I could no longer focus on all the great things that God had done because her contagious, fretful spirit had brushed up against me. Likewise, though, once I was preaching at a little white country church with blue carpet and pews, And a little girl came up to me with a picture that she had drawn and said she'd like for me to have it because she liked my preaching. And she gave me that picture, and it was a picture of me preaching, and I guess it was me preaching. It was a good-looking guy. And a picture of Jesus on the cross. And she said, I know you preach Jesus so people get saved, and I want you to have that. And I don't remember what kind of day I was having before she gave me that note. But I can tell you what kind of day I was having after she gave me that note. See, those are two instances that, that we need to keep in mind in our lives and realize that when our spirit is fretful, we're contagious and we make others fretful as well. But when our spirit is kind, we brush up against people with that as well. And we can make a tremendous impact on people's lives. So we don't need to fret because... It's hard on us. We don't need to fret because it's contagious to the saints. But can I just quickly say we don't need to fret because it's confusing to sinners. It's confusing 
to sinners. Imagine what it looks like to the world, to the lost world who, who, who've never accepted Christ, those who are not in a state of salvation, those who we would say are bound for hell. Imagine how confusing it is to them when the people that come out of the church house, the people whose joy is supposed to be in Jesus Christ, the people uh, whose every fiber of their being is supposed to be in worship of a Savior that is supposed to bring joy and happiness, and when the world looks at us and we're fretful, it's confusing to them. Imagine their confusion when you're at the restaurant eating lunch 20 minutes after you left church and you are as sour and as angry and as upset and as fretful as any human that's ever been. They look at you and they say, well, that's, that's not what I thought Christians were supposed to look like. That's not what I thought Christians were supposed to act like. If that's what it means to be saved, I'd just soon stay lost. Because they're so fretful and they're so upset and they're so burnt up on the inside, they don't got nothing I don't got. My table's happier than their table and they just left the house of the Lord. Why would I want to go to the house of the Lord and get a dose of anger? Don't fret. Because it's contagious. But don't fret because it's confusing to the world that you're looking to evangelize. But another reason that we should get through our difficult times, a way that we can get through them is that we would learn to rely on His faithfulness. Look with me at verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on His faithfulness. We should learn to rely on His faithfulness. Verse 3 gives us this promise. And this is a promise that, that we all need to remember if we're children of God. It says this, that God is going to be there in our time of need. That's quite simply what that means to say, I'm going to rely on His faithfulness. I'm going to realize that God is faithful to be there for me in my time of need. The Hebrew writer would put it this way. He said that I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. In Romans, Paul would say that he works all things together for the good of those who love him. The psalmist here would say that we trust in him, dwell in the land, and we will feed on his faithfulness. In verse 25, David would write in this same chapter, in verse 25, he would say, I have been young, but now I am old. So he's saying, I am very experienced. I've been a young man. I've been a king. I've been a sinner. I've been redeemed. I've written psalms. I've been the the top of the world. I've been a warrior. I've been many things. I was a young man, but now I'm old, having lived my entire life. And he says what? In my whole life, I have never seen seen the righteous forsaken and I've never seen the children of God beg for bread David is writing there and he says basically what we all know God will supply our needs according to his riches in heaven Jesus would preach it in the Sermon on the Mount when he would say do not be anxious for anything and he would tell us to consider the sparrow, consider the lily, consider the birds of the, the air and the flock and the Grass, if, if he clothes them and feeds them daily, would he not take better care of us? Learn to rely on his faithfulness. This has played out in my life so many times and in some of yours as well, I'm sure. But there have been plenty of times when there was too much month at the end of the money. And somehow or another, we made it. 
There have been plenty of times when if you looked at it on paper, you said it's just not going to work. But somehow or another, when we put our trust in God, he made it work. There was a time when I stared down a decision that didn't make sense financially if you looked at the numbers, but according to God's economy, it made sense according to his faithfulness. And he has provided for my family so abundantly. You can look at me and tell I've never missed a meal. Unless I missed it on purpose. And I usually made it up twice that night. God has given me more accidentally than I could have ever gotten on my own purpose. He's given me way more than I ever deserved. I have a dear friend that will be here this summer for revival in June named Rick Corum. Those of you that don't know Brother Rick, Brother Rick has preached in churches across the southeast and the eastern United States that fit tens of thousands of people inside of them. He has preached rallies at football fields that were full. He has preached in basketball gymnasiums that were absolutely full. He is the most booked evangelist in the southeastern United States, and it's not even close. He's a year to a year and a half out most years, and usually some, sometimes it gets up to two years. He worked us into a cancellation date for me to be able to book him a year out. And as the most booked evangelist in the entire Southeast who could easily charge a fee for coming to speak, he could easily say, I'm going to charge X amount of dollars, and he would stay booked up every week of the year doing that in the larger churches. But he has never charged a fee for his speaking. And I asked him about that once. And he said, my figuring is this. If I ever get too big to preach in a small church, I'll be too small to preach in a big one. And if the offering is less at one church, then it's going to be more at the next because my God has always supplied beyond our needs. This is a man who's not poor, but he's certainly not wealthy traveling around, doing nothing but preaching the word of God. He said, my God has always supplied everything I need. He's put every bit of his financial support in the hands of the people of God and of God himself, that God would prompt his people to give. And he's never, in 30 years of evangelism, went without. And it's played out in my life, and I'm sure it's played out in yours. But at the end of the day, We can make it through our difficult times when we learn to refrain from fretting. And we can refrain from fretting when we learn to rely on his faithfulness. Because usually the things we fret about are the things that are out of our control anyway. That we've got to rely on God to get through anyway. And so finally we should refrain from fretting. We should rely on his faithfulness and we should rejoice in his fellowship. Look at verse 4 with me. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Let's read that together. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. 
Great Pastor Junior Hill made the statement of verse 4. He said, if you get your desire before you get your delight, then there will never be any delight when you get your desires. Let me say that again. I don't want to preach faster than you're listening. If you get your desires before you get your delights, there will never be any delights when you get your desires. This is why we so often chase after these things, and when we get them, we realize we didn't want them as bad as we thought we did. This is why we strive for things and when we get them we still feel empty and yet sometimes things that we're not looking for seem to fall in our laps by God's grace and we realize it's the sweetest gift that we've ever been given. The writer here in Psalms, David says, delight yourself first in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Most of us though tend to pray backwards, don't we? God, if you'll give me this, I'll love you more, I'll serve you more, I'll pray harder than ever before if you'll just give me this, God. God, you give me this, and then I'll chase after you like never before. Yet the Word of God says that we've got it backwards. I believe that God is looking for His children to humbly bow on our face and say, God, I delight in I delight in you alone. God, you are all that matters. And whatever you want for me to have, God, you give it because you're enough. You see, when we get our delights right, when we get our delights to the point that we can honestly bow before God and say, God, you are enough, then that's when we'll have all the desires that our heart wants. Because our delights will be in the right place. You see, what we do when we get our delights right is we realize that if we have nothing but Jesus, then we have more than we deserve. If we have nothing else but Jesus, then we've got way more than we ever deserve. So how do we delight in difficult times? We refrain from our fretfulness. We rely on his faithfulness. And we rejoice in his fellowship. And I would say practically that like Horatio Spafford, we would learn to pray in any situation. It is well. It is well with my soul. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we come before you. God, we thank you for your faithfulness. God, we thank you that the simple fact that we're here tonight says that you have never left us, that you have never forsaken us, Lord God. The simple fact that we have anything at all says that you are a good, good father, Lord, and that you give us abundantly according to your riches in heaven. But God, we also stand before you, and we realize That in these difficult times, God, we need help to delight ourselves in your word sometimes. God, we we realize that we are weak, but you are strong. So God calls your people to bow before your holy throne of grace and mercy this very evening. That God, you would help us to delight in difficult times, Lord Jesus, and rely on you and you alone. And it's in your precious saving name we pray, Jesus. Amen.
Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. 